Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here, and welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. How does a Jewish Buddhist become a Christian? What happened in Israel that influenced his decision for Jesus? In what ways are his children raised in both Jewish and Christian worlds, as both parents are Jewish believers in Jesus? This is the story of Dr. Garrett Smith whose life tells about what it means to be changed by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and following God into the world. We pause here, as we typically do at the beginning of our show, to remind you the reason we have the Good Life program, well, dear friend, is to share how the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus Christ, makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus so so meaningful, so deep and strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried, yes, and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Garrett Smith is originally from the San Francisco Bay Area. He is the lead pastor of Newton Covenant Church. He holds a Doctor of Ministry and Masters of Divinity from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and a Bachelor of Arts in Business Economics from the University of California, Santa Barbara. He's married to Nikki. They served as missionaries with Jews for Jesus for 12 years. They have three children, Dahlia, Zachary, and Ilana. Garrett, welcome to our show. Well, thanks for having me, Danny. It's great to be here. I know you mentioned, I mentioned in the intro, San Francisco Bay Area, but tell us more. Where in the Bay Area did you grow up? (laughs) I was born in the city and raised out in the peninsula about 15 uh, minutes south of it. That's my home. That's where uh, where all my family has been. Well, what was it like growing up there in the Bay Area? (laughs) Well, it's the only thing I knew. Um, you're talking about like my family or the actual area? Both. I mean, my, you know, uh, you're talking about the, my family is a religious mix in some ways. My mom was actually uh, raised Mormon from in Idaho, and she came back from the uh, very first, you know, uh, her great-great-great-great-grandfather was one of the first converts to Joseph Smith way back in 1830, but she got away from that life. My dad came out of the Holocaust. And he was, a, as a small boy, they came out and they had you know nothing. They had some family that was here in San Francisco and that's why they came out there. But I think, um, and my mom, my dad, when they got married, my dad uh, said he'd only marry my mom if she agreed to raise us Jewish. So we were raised in the synagogue and, and uh, that was our life growing up. My mom, you know, went along with it, never converted to Judaism, but I would go off and visit my Mormon cousins in Idaho every year for a week. And it was like, my, my life was actually pretty chaotic. You know, my parents had terrible marriage and it was, and then we'd go and uh, go to Idaho once, you know, once a year and, and everything would be peaceful and nice and kind around the, uh, my Mormon cousins, which are wonder, wonderful people. I still love them mm-hmm. very much. In fact, when I became a believer in Jesus in Israel, they sent me all books of Mormon thinking I'm halfway there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. 
looking back at that that time, mm-hmm. these are precious times, the childhood mm-hmm. years. Who would you say influenced you most during that time? That's a great question. You know, it's funny as I think back, I was like, there were so few actual adults. I think you know, we we're the kind of house that people were stay away from. That the synagogue was a, you know, was a safe place for us, and uh, you know, and it was um, it was across the street, and. Uh, you know, it's funny. The thing that was most important to me was our basketball team. And my dad was the coach. And so we would, even as a little kid, I got to go out there and it, with all the bigger kids because my dad was the coach. And for years, and that was always really meaningful to me. And I, and I think of a couple, like, really uh, teachers who really took an interest in me. It's amazing they kind of influence a teacher who really cares about you and tries to help you out. So I think it's some of those folks who were the So did you impact. go to a Jewish school, too? No, I went to public high school. Mm-hmm. Teachers, explain, share more about, in what way did they did they touch you? Gosh, that's great. <laughs> These are great questions. I haven't thought about my, my teachers. I, I remember my, uh, I still remember Mr. Osborg, my fifth grade teacher, and he would, uh, you know, he, he actually tried to, like, get, I think I was a kind of a mess, you know, I had this stuff all over the place, you know, open up my desk, and it's just piles of paper everywhere, and he would sit there, and did a lot of work, we're going to try to organize you, get you forward, and he, and he saw potential, you know, I was the, the classic bright underachiever, you know, kind of thing, where here's a kid with potential, but his home life is crazy, and, and he's all disorganized, and, and I felt like, you know, I walked out of there thinking, hey, you know, actually, I can... I, I, you know, I'm not a dumb kid. I can, I can do things. I can, uh, uh, I can achieve stuff. And I actually, I remember that was some of the first places I went, wow, actually I'm really good at math and I'm, I'm, you know, really, I have leadership skills and all these kind of things. And that was really kind of the first place to flower. Beginning to see those things emerge. A lot of times it's just uh, us beginning to see those things in ourselves. Garrett, we'll fast forward a little bit. How did your mother's death? from brain cancer impact your journey of faith? Well, you know, growing up in synagogue, right, You being Jewish, I mean, it's not, and I, I can't speak for all Jewish people, but I can speak for many, it's a, it's a cultural thing. You know, you're part of a people group, and you love the holidays, and you go up there, and, and you may say prayers, but, you know, they're not, they're more um, like traditional rote things that you say. And they're still meaningful, but they're not spiritually meaningful. And I was, you know, was I an atheist? I was a functional one at the very least. You know, the idea that does God really matter? I don't know. If he exists at all, I don't care. And But I think, um, and I got a job out of uh, college. I got a job in this, uh, downtown San Francisco in the stock market. And that's kind of what I always thought my religion was, probably making money. And then uh, my mom died when I was 23. And... Uh, I suddenly started to really think about life. You know, what's really important? You know, is it just chasing money or doing whatever? So I think it, uh, I think from spiritually, it's just like, what are all these things I'm chasing? Do it, does any of it matter? And so after a couple of years, uh, and probably yeah, a couple, two years, I quit my job and decided to search for, search for some real meaning in life. So I decided to actually, I uh, took immersion Chinese and moved to the Far East. You know, I thought, I know I want to face my fears. That must be where real, real meaning is. And I thought, well, you know, I studied some Hebrew for my bar mitzvah and stuff like that. But I never really tried to you know, learn a language and live there. So I took immersion Chinese for two months in the summer, and off I went to Taiwan. And I was uh, teaching English and studying martial arts and uh, you know, studying more Chinese there. And that's when I um, 
you know, I thought uh, after six months there, I thought I have more challenges. You know, it was too easy to live in Taiwan, so I went to mainland China, and I just had to start. You know, this whole fear-facing thing, like anything I was afraid to do, I must thought that's where meaning is. And so I ended up, you know, even uh, hitchhiking my ways through China. I mean, I took even <laughs> – I hitched on a tiny little – like a tiny little boat that went up the Pearl River where you slept on the bottom overnight. And everyone was with a little slat and I would just, you know, sleep there. And I was like the only Westerner. And they were all looking at me going, what is this guy doing here? You know, and I just thought I'd just going to go into the middle of China by myself. And and I was just, just hitchhiking through all these mm-hmm. remote areas and – I'd stop in a little village, and the whole village would surround me because I don't think they ever saw anybody stop like that. My Chinese, you know, was pretty terrible, but I was able to at least get around. But at that time, I started to study a lot of uh, Eastern philosophy, you know, Buddhism and Taoism, and uh, and I thought there were a lot of things that seemed really true to me. And so I, uh, you know, I thought I'd spend the next next year actually. I, yeah, it was probably about nine months in China. I thought, I need to really live this stuff out. So I spent the next year down in Southeast Asia around Malaysia and Thailand. And um, actually, I remember taking, I don't know if you know Taoist philosophy. A Taoist philosophy is more like you see, you know, all of life is a giant river. And your goal is just to flow in the river. And don't try to fight it. You know, things you want and you hit the edges. So the idea is that that's the great metaphor, just let yourself flow. And so I... Um, you know, I you know, just kind of went into a bus station in the middle of Bangkok and said, where do I feel led? And I was just like, you know, kind of flowing. And I, was, I felt led towards a particular bus, and I just got on and took the bus. And then I had to open up the map after and kind of poke the guy next to me and said, no, where am I going? You know, I'm going into like southern Thailand. And I ended up, uh, you know, just got off the boat, got off the bus, and I put my hand up. And my truck picks me up takes me another two hours. The truck gets off, and I, you know, see some Westerners, and they say, hey, you going to Koh Tao? And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> it was like an island out in the middle of uh, the Gulf of Thailand. I stayed out there in some hut, you know, and uh, just kind of living this contemplative life. And and it was there I found out about that Buddhist monastery that I, you know, um, so I went, went to this Buddhist monastery where you're being silent for two weeks at a time, and you I even shaved my head. I was you know, sleeping on like like cement pallets, waking to gongs at four o'clock in the morning, and uh, you know doing meditation all day. And uh, you know, to me, it just seemed like you know. And I, I I still think if if there is no you know ultimate meaning to life, I still think Buddhism you know in some sense makes the best sense. You know, if life is just you've got to live it, they say don't don't have any desires. You know, that's one of the you know parts of Buddhism I think is really powerful that you don't. Don't desire, uh, if you don't desire things, desires cause you suffering, cease all desire. Don't worry about food, don't worry about where you sleep, don't worry about your, where you're going, don't worry about tomorrow. And uh, so that's really the kind of the philosophy I had, and I had no, no aspirations to rejoin Western society at that point. You're listening to the Reverend Dr. Garrett Smith. You say, Danny, the Reverend Doctor, that sounds like a Christian term. I'm just tuning in right now. He's talking about Buddhism and Taoism and just flowing down the river. How is this uh, making sense? I mean, after all, you're on the Good Life radio program, Garrett. Uh, Well, stay with us because he's going to explain what happened. As he, well, it took a lot of courage for him to seek and to study and to be there in China and Thailand and Malaysia. He'll share more about the journey and how the Spirit of God began to speak to him. And here it is. When we come back from our break, he'll share a bit more what led him back to Israel and what happened in Israel. Well, 
You don't want to miss this. Are you on a journey? Are you trying to find your way? Are you seeking to find truth? Are you looking for meaning in life? Well, if you are, well, this is a perfect time to stay with us because I believe meaning will come through Christ. We'll be right back. Stay with us. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life The today. mission of Newton Covenant Church, led by Dr. Garrett Smith, is to actively engage with God and His Word, foster a caring community of disciples of Jesus, bring God's healing to our hurting world, and invite our neighbors to follow Jesus with us. Newton Covenant Church is a member of the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination. Find out more at newtoncovenant.org. So, Pastor Garrett, you're in Thailand, you're in a Buddhist monastery, you're a Buddhist Jew. What? Why did you go back to Israel? Well, I, I guess to climb into the full, I, at this point, I, you know, I, I don't, I think somehow coming out of my, you know, my mom's death and just thinking this, I'm just trying to find some kind of meaning. And I kind of decided that meaning happened by not pursuing things. So that makes sense, like the opposite, which is kind of a Buddhist, you know, which is sort of a Buddhist idea. And I'd given up all material items. I only had like a, you know, burlap sack, about 15 pounds. You're ahead of your time. You were a minimalist. <laughs> I was very much. I still am a bit of a minimalist, you know. I, I, uh, I still like that, you know. But I was like, you know, just a couple books, a shirt. That's all I need. And I was, and I just would eat in markets, or I stayed in a hut on an island for months. And uh, so I had no, no, I had no aspirations to actually rejoin Western society. I was just going to accept life for what it was. And uh, my parents couldn't even you can imagine like having a kid. You can't even, you know, except I call in every couple months to say I'm alive. They, no way of getting me. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I finally called, you know, and I called in one of these times, I said, uh, you know, my dad was going to turn 60 and my stepmom said, can you, you know, can you come home and as we celebrate that together? So I said, okay. And he said, we, and we're going to go off to Israel. You know, he wants to go to the promised land once in his life. And uh, would I go, you know, with the family? 
So I came home and I decided I would just, it didn't, I didn't matter where I went. I just kind of took that as my Taoist cue. You're still flowing down the river. I am and flowing into Israel. That sounds great. You know, I mean, I'm Jewish, right? What better place to go, right? So I thought, okay, fine. I just flowed home and, and then uh, went off to Israel with my little, I took my, I got a new backpack. It was still only like 20 pounds, but it was small, but it wasn't like ripping apart. And uh, my family went there for 10 days and they went, uh, they went back and I said, I'm just going to stay and see where life takes me next. I took a one-way ticket, so I just started uh, in Israel. I was just going to hitchhike. And uh, to tell you kind of, I know it's hard for people to imagine what it's like when you're trying to detach from all things, but I thought I really succeeded in detaching from all the, you know, things of life because I forgot my own birthday. It's one thing for everybody else to forget your birthday, but when you forget your own birthday, and it felt like a victory. Yeah. That's the crazy thing about it. You made it. Yeah. I am not worried about any such things. And, uh, and so I was hitchhiking in Israel, and I got dropped off uh, just randomly in this front of this Christian youth hostel in Haifa, you know, in the north of Israel. You know, backpacks or backpackers stay in dorms, that kind of stuff. And I was uh, 27 at this point, just to kind of see where you're at. And, and, uh, it's not the Hilton. <laughs> no, it's not. But, it, you know, and, and no one in my entire life had ever mentioned anything about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd never, maybe they did, I don't remember it, but I have no, not even one person, and it's part of, I'm growing up in San Francisco, so it's not like you're, you're not in the middle of church culture. I didn't know a kid who went to church. But the first guy was a guy at that hostel who uh, was one of the volunteers there. He's a guy by the name of Izzy. I don't know if Izzy's going to listen to this. <laughs> I want to be, Izzy's the you know, most warm-hearted, generous guy. He never said a bad thing about anybody. But Izzy's also a guy who took way too many drugs before he became a believer in Jesus. It was one of these really, you ever have these kind of guys who just talk a mile a minute? Like, you know, if there's any silence, he can't, he can't hold that. He'll just talk and all it was. And he kind of breaks the ice by talking about Jesus perpetually. So it was just like he's talking to me, blah, 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 Jesus, blah, 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 Jesus. But I'm like this kind of Buddhist, you know, where I'm just kind of, I'm more like, you know, observing myself going, hmm, I have feelings of annoyance. How unusual. <laughs> like, what is like, what are those feelings? You know, I'm not really even listening to them. I just sit there because I can never not allow myself to, you know, you know, uh, go, you know, to have anything bother me. But then, so Izzy's talking to me probably for a half hour. I don't know what he was talking. And uh, he hands me a Bible. And then Izzy tells other people at the hostel, hey, see that guy over there? He's really open, you know, just because I didn't tell him to be quiet like most people did. And uh, that was the first time I ever looked at a Bible and the first time anyone ever talked to me about it. And I didn't even take it seriously, but the Bible's in my hand. And again, I'm taking this kind of Taoist philosophy. And so I find it significant that the Bible flows into my hand. I think, oh, maybe this is my time to look at the Bible. Meaning, you know, some of the stories as a kid, we never actually, I thought, okay, this is good. So I'm going to start at Genesis 1-1 and just read through the whole thing. You know, and I got up about to the beginning of Leviticus and I got a little bogged down. And someone said, hey, you know, why don't you try the New Testament? I'm like, the New Testament? Ooh, <laughs> it's about Jesus. You know, one thing you know as a Jewish person, it's the no-no book. You may oh. think I was, a, you know, the Buddhist and all that kind of stuff, but it's funny how these these things go deep. Mm. And there was something actually I even shook a little bit to open up that like, what is the big deal? Why have, why have been people been trying to kill Jewish people in the name of Jesus for all these? You know, this is what you, I mean, that's the people who've done this stuff to us. And I'm actually going to read the story of it. And it's hard for people to grasp like how, the forbidden book. It was. And it was, and I thought, I'm not going to be afraid of a book. I'm not going to be afraid of a book. I'm just going to start reading it. And so I started, uh, you know, I read the Gospel of John and Matthew, Luke, and I I thought Jesus, I really liked it. I thought Jesus was this enlightened guy like myself. That's the crazy thing. I thought Jesus was kind of like me. 
So, that, you know, you never underestimate people's level of arrogance, you know, and you mm-hmm. think. And I thought, you know, he's just trying to, you know, transcend the sufferings and understand the realities of life. Because I was, you know, I was an atheist, but, only, but in a sense that, you know, you get, there's no God out there who really cares about us, who's intimately involved in our lives. But I didn't mind if people, that life is hard. And if that gives you, you know, strength to believe that kind of stuff, hey, good for you. You know, life is hard and I'm all, I'm all for that. But um, then some weird things happened to me. They actually let me stay at that hostel working for a room and board. And so I would just do a little work in the thing. And then, and, um, you know, I think this is the way they kind of reached out to travelers. You know, so you'd come there and you'd have meals with them and you have some food and you're kind of around this kind of fellowship. And uh, I'd hear them pray. And I think, oh, that seems kind of nice. You know, it's pleasant. You know, being grateful seems like a nice thing. So I remember going on my knees once in my room and going, I'm going to try this prayer thing just out of curiosity. And I started to pray and I thought, oh, this is stupid. It's like talking in your head. You know, I just thought this is, what am I doing? It seems foolish. But then a couple weird things happened to me. I was, you know, like I said, I was reading the Bible just out of curiosity and knowledge. And uh, right when I had that thing happen where I thought, this is crazy, how do you pray? I opened the Bible up and I had a little heading and said, how to pray. And I was like, whoa, you know, it's like magic book. What's going on? It was the Lord's Prayer. But it it was the idea that I had the thought and the book opened up. And uh, that was kind of weird. And so there's a couple of these strange things happen. I, I, you know, I went to uh, one of their services and, and I remember, you know, just, again, I, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't, like, listen to anything content-wise, but I had a weird, like, buzzy feeling, almost like chills, like there's some kind of reality here. And then, um, I don't know if you want me to go all the way into the what happened to me. Or... Where, where did you meet Nikki? Oh, that's far later. Far later. Okay, <laughs> well, just bring us to what happened. Yeah, and then, well... And... Your, your, your point of coming to the Lord. Yeah, and so I'm at this hostel, and um, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm thinking about that. And then, you know, they're doing these outreaches, right? And I didn't notice any change in myself. But they saw that um, this this guy, this weird guy had come to the hostel and started talking to me, and uh, it made me feel like this is there's something really wrong with, you know, you know Christianity is like spiritual totalitarianism, and... You know, it's like this one-way stuff. And I thought, oh, yeah, what am I, what am I even, you know, because I think I was considering could there be some truth to this thing. And then I, uh, and then I, they noticed that I closed up, mm-hmm. that I had, you know, was not, um, and I noticed no change in myself, but they found in the outreaches that they would be trying to reach out to somebody and I would suddenly, like, interrupt all their conversations. And I thought, this is really strange, you know. And, uh and so they, I was going to solve, they asked me to leave the hostel, and I said, fine. So that night I was all set to leave the hostel. Suddenly a strange thing happened. You know, the, the guy, um, this is going to be hard to grasp, but the guy who had come and talked to me before had been at the hostel a few years before and had come and left with someone else who was kind of open. Mm. And they said that. And um, right when he said that, I had this, um, I started to shake. Because I had this thought in my head, which, you know, at the time was a strange thought that that guy had come to take me away from God. Oh. It was like this thing oh, in the really? back of my head. You realized that. Yeah. And I, then I just started shaking. And I, and it was, this can sound strange, but I started like violently swearing. Mm. And I never, you know, part of this thing, I was like, I wouldn't swear. I wouldn't do anything. But then I was just like screaming out stuff. And in, hard to understand, but it was like three hours of hunched over there. Mid, midstream of that, 
Um, the one guy was in the room with me. This is like at nine o'clock towards midnight. He comes over and, and I come out and I said, I said, I don't know what's going on, but I think I need to stay here and figure out what's going on. Something's up. And he opens up to Romans 10, nine and 10. You know, if you, you know, you know, believe in your heart that, you know, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And I thought, oh gosh, you Christians in your little book, right? That's what I kind of thought at the time. And, but then I hunched over and was shaking again for maybe another hour and a half and it's past midnight and I don't know why, but I, I went to my knees and my face was hunched against the ground. And words came inside my head like a blinking light. I, I mean, it's hard to understand, but the words said, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. I didn't even understand what it meant. I just, and I thought, I can't say that. But I just thought, I can't be afraid of it. I'm just, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm just, I'm just going to say it. And I said it again and again. I was like covered with sweat. And they you know, they went and got a bunch of people to the hostel, woke them all up and came in because they had been praying for me. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and so that was, and, and I thought this, this is, they, they thought this is amazing. They're saying hallelujah, and I'm thinking just get away from me. I don't understand this thing at all. But I stayed at the hostel, and it was real, and uh, suddenly the Bible opened up to me. It was like God talking to me. It was uh, unbelievable. You're listening to Dr. Garrett Smith, the Reverend Dr. Garrett Smith, he's the lead pastor at Newton Covenant Church. Uh, his experience, I mean, this is what he went through, what he saw, what he felt, and the Spirit of God working and moving. And that sounded, Garrett, like some spiritual encounter that you were yeah. going through during those very, very tough and trying hours, as you describe it. When we come back, Let's talk a little bit more. I do want to get to where you met Nikki. And uh, how did the Spirit of the Lord lead the two of you to serve with Jews for Jesus? You're listening to Pastor Garrett Smith, the Reverend Dr. Garrett Smith. When we come back, we'll talk more with him. Have you gone through some struggles? Have you sensed the Lord prompting your heart? Has it been more forceful than you realize it's the love of god touching you newtoncovenant.org stay with us we'll be right back the road of desperate life beneath the barren sky leave it to me i lead you on hi this is danny yamashiro in what way have you seen god work powerfully in your life do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, send your correspondence to Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. That's Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. 
Danny Yamashiro here. Thanks for being with us. I'm, I'm really grateful to have Pastor Dr. Garrett Smith here in studio sharing his conversion experience. Yes, he's a, a man at the time, you know, a Taoist, a, a Buddhist. He's a Buddhist Jew. He's there in the monastery, but now he's in Israel. Now he's at the hostel, not the Hilton, but in a hostel. And the Lord meets him there. One who is contemplating his own contemplations and the Lord in a very nuanced way, personalizes his touch on this man who is now serving in the kingdom of God for the purpose of the Lord. Find out more at Newton Covenant, Newton Covenant Church, newtoncovenant.org. So, Garrett, where did you meet Nikki? Well, I... Um after we, you know, I stayed in Israel for a year after that, and I was actually, you know, it's actually the perfect way to become a believer because you're like at a little hostel and you're almost immediately in ministry. And uh, I mentioned Nikki because I mentioned in Jews for Jesus, and so in some ways the call to even being in ministry is such a big part of that. They let me, um, I was probably there two months, and they let me share at one of their little outreaches. And I had never felt um, so empowered, and I thought, my goodness, I can't believe the way I'm talking. I, I, I feel like you're on some on the outside going, oh, you sound interesting, but you're the one actually doing the speaking. And uh, that's why I thought, gosh, am I going to be doing this the rest of my life? And as I had that thought, you know, two months after that experience, and it hasn't really changed. And after a year in Israel, um, actually an interesting story is my dad, um, you know, my, my dad wanted to figure out what I was so crazy about over here. You know, my brother and sister were totally angry about this. My dad was just like, what's going on? He had some has having some health problems. And he started going to church. My stepmom had grown up in church and gotten way away from it. When I'm telling I believe in Jesus, she starts going back. My dad starts going with her. And after about a year, I said, I got to go home. And my dad actually came to Lourdes just um, a, a month after I came home. And my mom, my stepmother, and my dad were baptized together, which was amazing. And uh, there, I, um, a guy from Jews for Jesus spoke at that church. And, uh, you know, we were, it was around Passover time, just like right now. He's had Passover last, uh, you know, just whatever, last week or so. But, um, and I told him, I don't know what to do. My brother says, um, he will not come to Passover unless I promise not to say anything about Jesus. And I said, I can't deny the Lord. And the guy from Jews for Jesus said, no problem, Jesus is right there. And I said, no, not at my family's Passover. But we sat down at that Passover, and I was just, I thought, this is what I've been saying for 27 years? It's amazing. You know, you just, none of it means anything. And then suddenly I'm reading this, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, this is what I've done? You know, Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose blood, you know, uh, anyway, we're going the whole Passover thing, but it's just, you know, Jesus is the ultimate uh, Passover Lamb. And so my brother was really convicted by that. But I, the guy from Jews for Jesus said, hey, do you uh, have thought about doing some kind of you know, maybe you want to do a short-term mission with us or a little, like, going. We were going to the streets in New York to do this, like, four times a day on the streets, handing out literature. And uh, I thought, I'll never, I don't want to do anything like that. But, you know, he goes, go home and pray about it. And I go, fine, it won't, won't matter. I go home and pray about it, and you feel like, this is what I have to do. And <laughs> I just, you know, and you, you know, so you just, I mean, that, that was the crazy thing. You know, when I think about the faith, it's just like, if God's real, then that's the only thing that matters. Jews for Jesus. What were some of the experiences with Jews for Jesus that transformed you? Well, I mean, just the idea of like 
you know, going on the streets like I mean, there was at that they don't do as much. That's not so much the methodology now, but this is you know, early '90s, and you're just you're on the streets in New York City on the subways, and you just you know you're handing out literature and just engaging with people, and God would just do amazing. But it's also like so much opposition, you just get used to it. You know, people would uh, I've been mean, spit on, and people hit at you and scream at you and threaten to kill you. And I know it sounds crazy to say, it, but that's really what happens, you know. And you, um, and yet at the same time, you'd watch God just change somebody's life in front of you. And it was just, uh, just the you know being willing to understand that life, you know, it's about suffering, <laughs> and you preach the gospel in the midst of it. And those are some of the most powerful lessons. And, and seeing God do some incredible things, you know. I remember one guy being with one guy and. Uh, and it was shocking as he wanted to pray to receive Jesus. And I, I remember sitting there with that. And right when he was about to pray, this dog at the window just starts blasting, screaming, jumping up. And he's like, why did the dog suddenly go bananas? Then we prayed right then. I told him, you know, dog, you know, I'm praying Jesus' name. <laughs> the dog stops. The dog just goes, thunk, stops. And the guy prays to receive Jesus. So this kind, I mean, you know, these kind of stories, but they're real. You know, it's real stuff. And uh, I think some of those, those are the most powerful lessons. And I am... Um, you know, after they invited me to become missionary, I became missionary, and then I, uh, I my wife was born in Namibia, and so uh, she was actually working with Jews for Jesus down there in South Africa, and so I met her down there, and um, you know, we, we, I, I barely knew her when we got married. You know, these fields from the Lord, that's it, and you just, and we did that, and that was um, 1999. We got married. My wife's a real evangelist too. Her. Just her little story is kind of interesting in itself. She, uh, you know, one of the only Jewish families in Swakopmund, Namibia, and uh, and uh, she, to be rebellious against her parents, she would sleep over in some Christian's friend's house so she can go to church with them in the morning. And she kind of liked it, but she she says you can't, you know, you can go to church with them, but you can't believe in their Jesus. And so as a rebellious teen, she said, "Well, maybe I do want to believe in Jesus." But she, I don't think she was really she was being more rebellious than anything. But at the same time, uh, one of her mother's workmates was sharing with her about the Lord. And so her mom wanted to prove, uh, prove to her daughter that Jesus wasn't the Messiah and end up becoming a believer. So my, my stepmother now is a believer in Jesus. She got baptized with my wife, and they went to their grandfather, you know, their, her grandfather, and they said, we're going to tell them, you know, they're going to yell at us and be so angry. And they tell the grand, they got them alone, so they only have one of them yelling at once. And so they went to the grandfather and he said, you know, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. And the grandfather said, Mazel Tov, congratulations, I've believed for 50 years. And they're like, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? And evidently, you know, 50 years before, some Lutheran missionaries who were coming to, you know, start a mission post in South Africa were on a cruise ship with, you know, a ship going from New York where he was all the way down and had shared with them and stayed with them, touch, stayed in touch with them for 50 years. 50 years. And I don't know if it was, you know, if his life was really there, but, you know, they when they wrote this missionary, it was at that time like 80 or 90, they said, you know, that he's become, you know, the Kurt, the grandfather's become a believer, so is my, you know, the granddaughter and the daughter. And they got a, they actually literally got a letter back from him 50 years later. He'd been praying for them all those years. Oh. And it was like mm. tear-stained. It was really just a, mm. it's unbelievable. We can actually go back and see the missionary journals we were looking at, and they were talking about her grandparents. It was really amazing. You mentioned somewhere that your favorite authors are J.R.R. Tolkien <laughs> and C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis yeah. wrote, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. 
How do those words stir your heart? Well, I mean, that's that 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 particular idea is uh, has always um, you know even struck me when I think about. Uh, yeah, oftentimes I'll agree with Buddhism and Christianity. I go, it's, it's interesting when I talk to people, I go that both Buddhism and Christianity have an agreement. They say that desires cause us problems. <laughs> they both, you know, and so the, uh, you know, the Buddhist approach is just don't desire. Don't want anything. And, you know, you, you become, you know, basically everyone becomes the same. But the Christian thing is to, it's kind of like what C.S. Lewis is talking about is, no, your desires, the things you desire are actually these beautiful things God has created these infinite joys that's set before us, but we keep on satisfying in ways that don't help us. And so it's always struck, you know, that the ultimate joy, it's the, you know, it's the pursuit of joy, ultimately God has for us. And so, yeah, Lewis, that's that, uh, as that, that particular, that we always, I think the part of that hut, you know, part of that quote is we, we, we stop off in mud huts when there's a castle at the end of the road. Wow. And uh, Well said, yeah. Well, speaking about the castle, or being within the radius of the castle. How did you receive a call to pastoral ministry? Yeah, that was uh, uh, unexpected. I was, you know, I'd been with Jews Jesus and my wife for 12 years, and, and it's strange. You know, you can always ask, what are your issues? And, and you, I think you always have issues with everything you do in life, but do you sense that God's calling away? And, I, you know, I remember after one conversation, I thought, I don't know. I came up and my my wife just said to me, are we leaving? And I said, yes, we are. And it was interesting. I didn't, like, I didn't know it until that moment. And, uh, and I thought, wow, this is your family. And one thing for a lot of Jewish people, it's not just a, I mean, not just a missionary work. It becomes like your, you know, family of Jewish believers and almost all of them have been rejected by their families. You know, I've been rejected by my family and, uh, and so these become more than just people you're serving alongside with. But that very weekend after that happened, we thought we were kind of grieving for three days and uh, and went um, to church. You know, we'd hooked uh, up with some church, and right then the associate pastor steps down. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, the pastor called me that week and said, hey, have you thought about why you're doing that? And she brought both of us on staff and said, okay, I guess I'll do this for a little bit. And... Um, and now all these years later, here I still am doing this. Master of divinity, doctor of ministry, and here you are, lead nice. pastor. Wouldn't it be nice if you could be a master of divinity at some point? <laughs> master. Are <laughs> <laughs> well, you listening to Dr. Garrett Smith? And when we come back, uh, we'll talk more and we'll pray in our final segment. What is the Lord leading him and his team of leaders at Newton Covenant? church in this season of ministry, maybe even some about how he raised his children, he and Nikki, in Jewish and Christian worlds, and of course, a time of prayer. Find out more at newtoncovenant.org. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. Those were the blinking words for him. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life, aimlessly beneath the barren sky. Leave it to me, I'll lead you home. Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, 
I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement. Another friend said, that pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about Jesus' love. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is made possible through financial partners. Would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going? Podcasts have been downloaded in 49 states and 35 nations in the last six months. Please help us expand our reach. Go to drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. That's drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Yeah, so the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior. Those are the blinking lights. of Those words were given to him, and as he said it, it's like chains fell off, and he was no longer curled over, but a breakthrough in his life. I'm speaking of Dr. Garrett Smith. Under his leadership and his team's Newton Covenant affirms the centrality of the Word of God, the necessity of the new birth, the commitment to the whole mission of the church, affirms the church as a fellowship of believers, and a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit and the reality of freedom in Christ. So, how is the Lord leading you, Garrett? You and your team in this season at Newton Covenant Church? Well, you know, we you mentioned our mission statement earlier, and that really does, you know, that, that, that orients us, you know, no matter the circumstances and those, those ideas that I think people need to be actively engaging with God, engaging <laughs> with the Scripture, you know, the, where the, it's attached. You know, you need to have a personal relationship with God, and God is with you. You need to sense his presence. You need to seek after him. We need to, our second thing is to foster a caring community of disciples of Jesus. You know, we, we're meant to be communal people. We're meant, you know, God gives each of us gifts. And we're to be gifts to be used in other people's lives and their gifts to be used in your life. There'll be times when you are strong and then you help others who are fallen or who are, who are struggling. And when you have your times of hardship and difficulty, you're to be in a community. And you need to know people have relationships and so they can come alongside of you and help you. You know, we're meant to... Uh, God, it's not just every church is about the world. You know, we're about, um, we want to, what do we, you know, how can we bring healing in the midst of our community? Our church right now actually works a lot with um, uh, kids in foster care, you know, seeing and, and coming along families and trying to care for children and, and uh, you know, the hurting ones. It's one of the most, uh, thank God, it's to me the helping kids in foster care is, that's the, you know, the mantle of even as God adopts us who are fallen and broken and showers his love on us, we can do that for these children. And lastly, to invite people to follow Jesus. And you're, you're in that, helping the, the foster kids and to invite people to follow Jesus. You also have your children, you yeah. and Nikki, mm-hmm. and you raise your children in Jewish and Christian worlds. Explain what that means or what that's like. Yeah, you know, um, it is tricky sometimes in two worlds, but in some in some ways it's clean in some sense. You know, uh, 
being you know, following Jesus is what I believe. You know, it is my faith. It is how it, how my world is oriented. You know, how, how I understand the world and live in it. Um, being Jewish is who I am as a person. You know, and uh, the cultures and traditions; those are the ones that are meaningful for me. Those that are still the. You know, it sounds funny. You, know, you think people say, "Why don't you? Don't you love Christmas and Easter so much?" And I think, well, it, it doesn't. Oftentimes, what people love about it is the cultural pieces of it. I love the idea. You know, Jesus came into the world. I love that. He rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. I will preach that. But the cultural elements of it don't really carry a lot of resonance for with me. You know, oftentimes it's still the Jewish holidays and, you know, and, and Jewish culture, which carries a lot of resonance. And, and I want our kids to understand that, too. And, it's, and to me, it's not simply the resonance. Um, like our, my daughter is getting bat mitzvah this year. But for us, it's more than simply going through a ceremony. You know, we're helping her take hold of the word of God to understand. She'll, you know, preach a little mini sermon to people. And it's a point of which she kind of wanted them to mature in their faith. And, and I think, you know, uh, I think part of being a remnant you know, scripturally, as a Jewish person, I think you have a powerful testimony that that the Jesus really is the Messiah. You know, it's amazing how the Old Testament are, uh, you know, the, uh, is the best evidence for the existence of Jesus, I think. And it's kept mm-hmm. by people who don't believe in Jesus. Yeah, how ironic. As a believer, mm-hmm. as a believing Jew, how has the Lord helped you, maybe even recently, through difficult times? Yeah, um... You know, it's it's amazing. You can have all this kind of uh, intellectual ideas as to why Jesus is, you know, why why you can trust the scriptures and why they're true. And but when push comes to shove, it's you know, it's it's you sitting there and and releasing its hope. You know, are you alone? Is there someone there you can call on and reach out to? And that God is always present, always there. And uh, but at the same time, you know. Uh, it's funny, a lot of people hear my testimony of becoming a believer in Jesus, and they say, oh, well, it must be easy now because you've had that experience. But I'm like, you know, I wake up the next day, and I still got the same thing everybody, you know, the same issue everyone has, you know, because you still got to choose how am I going to live this day and what am I going to believe. And when the hard things of life happen, you know, my, my brother had a, you know, uh, it's come down with cancer, and and it, and it throws you, you know, and, it, and, it, and you realize it just... Uh, you don't even know how much it impacts you. You know how much these uh, dark fears come out, and and uh, I remember just being so almost like feeling so stressed out by all these different things happening, but they weren't actually. If I really looked at them, they were all feeling very stressful because the thing that I wasn't thinking about was I was just feeling tremendous grief, you know, and uh, pain over that, and and fear, and questioning. What do you do? You know, how do I talk to him? You know, because very hostile to the Lord, and um, and that's hard, you know. And you think, how how can I just be, you know, God's presence in the midst of that? God, when and how do I speak or be available? Or and it's you know, it's been a lot of years of working that through. And you think after all these years of doing that, you figure it out, but you still don't. You know, it's still hard. Your heart still breaks, but yet I think you know, you sit there in this quiet thing, and you realize that yeah, the Lord is. You're not walking through this alone. Yeah, that's one of the amazing things. I think sometimes when I think of the Lord's Prayer, I think many of us would say, you know, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, how fair and evil for you are with me. I think oftentimes we would rather the promise be, God, when I see the valley of the shadow of death, why don't you deliver me from it? Take me out of the valley. Walk me around the valley. And his promise is to walk us, be with us while we walk through it. 
you know, that, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that there is at no point when we're walking through any of these things that God isn't right there. And ironically, I think uh, in those times of need or the time, oftentimes the intimacy is the greatest. When things are going, I think when things are going well, oftentimes you think you're, you know, you're, you're doing well with the Lord, but often those are the times you begin to drift, I think, sometimes. Someone listening may be on the verge of receiving that encouragement. Some may be a little bit tentative because they're thinking, oh, I wish he would, the Lord would take me around the, the valley, but oh, I've, I've got to go through. I, some might even be thinking they've, they've gone through the valley. They know the value of that, the value of the valley and the Lord going through the valley with them. But it's just hard, hard. Mm-hmm. And I see it in your eyes. You know, you've experienced it. You mentioned your brother. Someone today, their their family member. They they just heard news about a family member. Maybe they, they maybe they themselves are going through an an ailment that doctors say are very grim. Uh, people experience loss all the time. Some of you not even see it from their countenance. We're able to hide things pretty well in this world, but deep down we're broken, we're breaking, and we even feel like we're dying sometimes. Pastor Garrett Smith, will you pray for our listener today? And as you pray in the the Jewish way, after the prayer, if you could pray a prayer of a a Jewish blessing even Mm. as, as you do, would you do that for us, please? Pray for our listeners. Oh, Lord. Lord, I want to just thank you and praise you, Lord. That uh, even as we sit here, that you are here. Lord, did you say that you see us and you know us, that you do never leave us or forsake us? And Lord, we thank you that we walk in this miracle of life, that you've given us life. Remember the traditional prayer, it says you give us life, you sustain us, and you bring us to this moment. And God has not left us. He's began a good work in us. He'll be faithful to complete it. And even in these darkest times that you are with us, you even say your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Lord, even in the presence of our enemies, you say you can prepare a table that our cup can overflow with joy. Our head will be anointed. Even your spirit will come upon us. And that you promise us that uh, you will always be with us. There is a place in the house of the Lord where we will dwell forever. And Lord, I pray for each one here, Lord, that they can sense that you are with them, that they can open up their hearts and let you. Lord, I know sometimes we have to open up and let you minister into our hearts and be real to you about our fears. Lord, help people to be honest, Lord, not to, not to let fears take them over, Lord, but that they can just give their fears to you. And they can hear your voice telling them to fear not and be strong for you are with them. Oh, Lord, we need your presence with us. We need your comfort. We need your strength, oh God. Now, receive this blessing that uh, the Lord had said. It said this is the way Israel was to be blessed with this traditional, it's one of the oldest known melodies. But uh, feel the promise. Yiver Adonai 
פנה ולך, ושם לך, שלום. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Amen. 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 What a gift. What a gift you are. Thank you. Thank you, Garrett, for sharing your heart and your life. We appreciate you. Thank you, Danny. Inspiration from Dr. Garrett Smith, newtoncovenant.org. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and other major podcast platforms. Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Garrett Smith, newtoncovenant.org. Until next time, along with my producer, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator, Jan Yi, and board operator, Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.